Welcome to the Australia-Columbia Dialogue podcast, where we sit down for coffee or tea with some of Australia and Colombia's biggest names in government, business, industry, academia, and more to talk about work, life, and everything that brings Australia and Colombia together. And now your host, Cesar Alvarez. In this episode, we sat down with Sophie Davis, former ambassador of Australia to Colombia, and one of the most remarkable candid, human, and warm diplomats that I have ever met. I hope you enjoyed this episode where we talked about her life, her career as a diplomat, her highlights uh, during her posting in Colombia, and what's next for the Australia-Colombia relationship. It's been a long time waiting. <laughs> <laughs> the whole project of, of the podcast is to let the audience know more about those people who are at the heart or at the center and front of the Australia-Colombia relationship. Okay. And there is no better way than honor for me to start with, obviously, former ambassador to Colombia, Sophie Davis. It is a pleasure to have you here with, uh, with us. And um, what I would like to start, uh, oh, well, I, where oh, I would you, like sir. to... No, yeah. my <laughs> pleasure. Uh, I would like to start by... By, by asking you about um, your upbringing. And, and um, you know, we'll leave the, the formal stuff for later. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> but but I, I, was, I was doing a little bit of research, and I was wondering, is it possible that, that uh, you were born in a town in Australia where the sun rises exactly at 6 a.m., and the sun sets exactly at 6, 6 p.m. Is that right? Me yeah. Barrel, New y- South Wales? Yes. <laughs> Do you know that is exactly 150 degrees in the middle of the Australian Easter um, daytime? So oh. something <laughs> is right in the end. D- didn't you know that? Well, Barrel's in the Southern Highlands and it's a, it's a beautiful little town. When I was born there, it was definitely a country town. No, no one would really ha- know where it was. But nowadays, everyone knows where the Southern Highlands is. You know, we've, it's also the home of Don Bradman, the famous cricketer. So Barrel is known for that. But it's a very popular place now for people to come down from Sydney. It's really close. I remember I actually grew up in Maroolan, which is further towards Canberra from Barrel. That's exactly the town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I grew up. Yeah, yeah. Barrel. Yeah. <laughs> Maroolan, sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I didn't know that. that yeah, just yeah, Google yeah. it and you will see how, how <laughs> you know, is right. Is, is the, really? I think it is the only town in the world that okay. is right on the point with Equinox, you know. Is that 6 right? 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. <laughs> I have to look at that. Yeah. No. Well, it's, it's then further south, so it's what we call the Southern Tablelands. And it was, when I was growing up, it was a big sheep farming area. And we also had a bit, uh, you know, a lot of merino sheep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's... That's where I grew up, was on the Merino sheep farm. Beautiful. Yeah. Is that your, your favourite part of, of Australia? Oh, there's too many favourite parts of Australia. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, thinking about where is the most favourite. I don't know because uh, I had the fortune to work for an outdoor education company called Outward Bound and we ran a lot of um, personal development, professional development courses all around Australia. So I've lived in far north Queensland, in the southwestern corner of Western Australia and Victoria and Tasmania, wow. all over the place and seen that the absolute beauty of Australia. I mean, I think the southwestern tip of Western Australia and the Cary Forest down there, uh, that's, that's a place where everyone should visit. Uh, but working with that outdoor company, is that where your love for hiking 
Yeah, it was, yeah, definitely. I, I had so I didn't grow up with my family. They were farmers, and well, my mum's a doctor, and and dad's a farmer. And our bent wasn't necessarily camping and hiking. So I really got into that uh, later on, and when I was at university. And yes, and working f- in outdoor education really developed that whole my whole love of of hiking and being out in the bush. Do you do you have the chance to? to do a lot of hiking or camping in, while you were in Colombia? Well, we did as much as we could, yes. We did um, Kukui, so that you would know. It's, it's an absolutely stunning national park, you know, quite alpine in Colombia, and so we spent three days walking around there. We also uh, walked between, well, I think it's called Sierra Nevada, so mm-hmm. um, we did that walk around the Eje Cafetero in the coffee region. That's um, beautiful. One yeah. of my favorite parts of Colombia. Well. Yeah. My mom is from uh, from the coffee region. Ah, right. From Quindío. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, so we started in um, Salento, I think it is. Salento. Yeah, yeah. And do you walk up the stairs? And we walked, yeah, yeah. We, so we walked up to the range and then walked across the range and you know, um, and saw the Freolinas. Freolinas. I've said that wrong, but the, um, there's an amazing um, native plant in Colombia uh, which could only be found there and only found in that sort of region of the country. Wow. Yeah. Um, Honest. Yeah. 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 <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm always curious, um, while I was doing my research, of course, how do you survive Colombia and especially Bogota, considering that you didn't like Ajiac? Ah, no. How did someone that come out? told me. <laughs> That's that terrible. <laughs> I said, okay, how about diplomat? Oh, I'll never be spoken to by a Colombian again. Thanks, Cesar. <laughs> how a diplomat survived. <laughs> no, there's a, like, ajiaco, definitely. You can see the beauty of that food. It's a, it's a very rich and, yeah, filling food that, that obviously has a, uh, brings together a lot of areas, a lot of uh, love in Colombia. You know, it's got potato, it's got the chicken, it's got the, the soup and the beans in it. But um, we weren't served that an awful lot in Bogota. We got Thankfully. <laughs> we were served a whole lot of different food. And that's, that's what's amazing about um, Bogota is that it's sort of a smelting pot of people from all across mm. Colombia and everyone's coming in there uh, into Bogota for work or to be close to government or business. Um, and they're bringing their food with them. So you get to try a whole variety of food in Bogota. What what do you miss about your time in Colombia? Oh wow, I miss I miss the opportunity to work between Colombia and Australia. I mean, it's a, it's an incredible it was an incredible opportunity, and being able to talk to those amazing Colombians who also um, had love for Australia and the Indo Pacific and wanted to help us create those links. Mm-hmm. So I, I miss that that particular part of it, the work part of it. And Colombia itself is an incredible country. I wish I'd had more time to see more of it. And, of course, I miss the, the people there, um, the team there, who's a, a wonderful, wonderful team in the embassy in Bogota. You, you clearly, you you have lived in so many parts of the world, so many parts here in Australia. What, what can you tell us about uh, that is so unique to Colombian people? I think everyone says, what do I think is Colombia's greatest asset? And I definitely think it's their people. It's that human capital. It's hard to put your finger on it, but the people are very, very open. You know, despite all the conflict, I think there's this actual level of trust between a basic level of trust 
which means that people are very welcoming. They are extremely hardworking. They're great fun. Um, they're obviously very good dancers, as opposed to other. How is your salsa? Other people and <laughs> cumbia. It's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Colombians really um, they play hard and they work hard, and and I think that's that works really well for Australians also coming in there because they feel very welcome. They feel really comfortable. And Colombia's really got a, a positive view. It's got an optimistic view, and its people are really looking to the future. I'm curious about now uh, the the expat community. All those Australians that um, have taken the risk and they fell in love with with Colombia. Yeah, there are a lot. So I think uh, my first entree to that was um, being part of the Bogota Bulldogs um, AFL footy club in Bogota, which really surprises everyone that there could be an AFL club there. <laughs> uh, but it is full of uh, well, it was full of Australians, but it's now. I think it's 60% Colombians. But going down there and asking those Aussies, you know, what brought them to Colombia and why they stayed, inevitably it was a Colombian partner. So I gave up asking that question. <laughs> yeah, they could see a lot of opportunities. They were very, um, very clever entrepreneurs, people who came with their ideas and they could see, you know, things that could be done, uh, skills that Australians had that they could um, work with the Colombians on. I mean, there's so many examples. Yeah, there's a, a brewer, a guy called his company Gringo Tuesdays, which Gringo normally means North American, but um, he, he made a very good business out of sort of mixing, learning a language mm -hmm. and, and being in a pub. So perfect combination for an Australian. The best of the two worlds. <laughs> best of the two worlds, yeah. Um, tell me about how is it to to live with four boys, three kids, three, and your husband? That's that's very challenging, isn't it? No, it's great. <laughs> I know you've got a girl, don't you? Yeah, and I've a got a boy and a girl. Uh, yeah, so I think I've missed the opportunity to know what having a young girl is like, but I've loved having uh, three young boys and having them. And my obviously my husband in Colombia, it was a great experience as a family because really when you're there as a family or you're able to you know see a, see a uh, community from many different angles and that's what we had the opportunity to do was it challenging i'm, I'm trying to uh, to yeah. get some advice for for people who are either aspiring diplomats or, or work in multinational companies that yeah. they constantly move between countries in your experience what's was your advice for for those parents or, or people who who are constantly moving around places well, to bring up kids because you clearly have you know you spent time in peru yeah. and prior to that you you work in, in the solomon islands uh yeah. southeast asia yeah in those uh, in the earlier times i wasn't moving with the children but we did move to peru with um, the children i think the biggest difference between peru and colombia was we in peru we have primary age um, primary school aged children and in Colombia we had high school aged children and it's far 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 more difficult with high school aged children and and it, it it's not easy it's really not easy it's it's very hard uh, I think we were well prepared the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade it really um, puts a lot of effort in trying to prepare families for that change and they know how hard that can be for teenage children I don't think we've got all the answers. It's it's very very hard. <laughs> but I think some of the the things that we did before we went on each time was we got the boys to put together a a time capsule, mm -hmm. um, and so they put that together. So that actually helps with the transition back to Australia. And a lot of the 
issues actually come on the reverse culture side of the coin when people come back. One thing I would advise everyone to do is never start halfway through a school year or halfway through a school term. Uh, That seems pretty basic, but it's very, very difficult. Even in Australia, we know changing schools halfway through the year or halfway through the term is problematic. Doing it overseas is is not a good way because you don't start off on the right foot. So putting in the positive, I think, <laughs> try to arrange your movement around the start of a school year or, or at worst, the start of a school term. And uh, do you manage to fall in love with any of the soccer teams in Colombia? I couldn't and, talk and to that. <laughs> and your kids? <laughs> oh, they did, but because I'm not the biggest sportophile, <laughs> I really couldn't tell you which ones they were. That's where my husband comes in, but he's not here with me. <laughs> so, so when did you realise that you wanted to become a diplomat? Yeah, I think I've wanted to be a diplomat for most of my life. Like I did apply for DFAT when I was first out of university and I got into the final round of um, the graduate intake and, and just didn't make it. And then my life went in different directions. Uh, well, I was down to the last 25. I don't know, that, like a couple of us dropped off in the last round. But that was fine. I think what it, it actually turned out for the best because then I went into the out, outdoor education sector and I think that gave me skills and facilitation and working with people and teamwork and, and being a leader at, at a young age that I might not otherwise have had. And then I followed another passion of mine, which was international development. And then, of course, I met my husband. So there's lots of um, things that might not Tell have Tell us happened. a little bit about that. <laughs> How do you meet? <laughs> uh, so we worked together on a, an international development project in Guyana, South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's actually from Costa Rica. And so it was for a company called Youth Challenge International, which brings together volunteers from Canada, Australia, Costa Rica, and then the country where they're working. So we were in Guyana and we were both team leaders on different teams mm. working in Guyana um, with the volunteers from in my group, was yeah, from Canada, Australia, and Guyana, and it was fascinating because we we're in uh, very different, doing different projects. There were I think ten different teams doing different projects in different parts of Guyana, working with the community to complete something that the community wanted done. Wow! So going into sort of um, more formal questions, yeah, sure. <laughs> but generally, how was your time in Colombia and, and in regards to? to the challenges and opportunities that you had uh, over those uh, three years that you spent over there? Yeah, well, the initial challenge was setting up an embassy. This was the first embassy that we'd had. We'd already had a trade commission there and the Australian Federal Police, who I know you know well, have been there since 2000. So there was quite a good Australian presence there. But the challenge was to set up an embassy and bring together the agencies that were already there um, to recruit a team and to establish ourselves as, as a mission in the country. How do you do that? How do you establish that? I mean, it's the mechanics of it. You know, you have the, we had support from Australia, from Canberra to, to set it up. But I think uh, a lot of that was um, taking opportunities, you know, in media to uh, make our presence felt. The Colombian government was extremely welcoming and, and really highlighted our presence there. We were able to contribute towards the demining effort in Colombia. Mm-hmm. So we were able to come with some some um, offerings to Colombia. And it was at a time where Colombia just signed off on the peace process. Yep. Uh, so that, that opened up a massive amount of opportunities on the other side for our companies. So already there had been some of our big companies had already been there for a long time, like Cochlear had already been operating uh, through an agent or a distributor. 
but they decided after a year and a half of us opening the embassy to open their first direct distribution office in Latin America in Colombia. And there are other examples, you know, Fortescue Metals Group had started to look around, but having an embassy gave them, um, you know, more confidence to open an office. Yep. Same with um, Macquarie Bank and Macquarie Capital. They also had the confidence then. I think that was all put on hold through COVID, but they're now, they're still very much there, still very much investing. Yeah, there's some very big investors in Colombia from the Australian side. In your experience, what did they see in Colombia? that uh, makes the country yeah. so attractive to them to put their money and effort? Yeah, well, I think the, the ones that have been there for a while, like BHP through their um, ownership of a very big coal mine, um, Orica, which is an explosives company, which is actually headed by a Colombian-Australian back here in Australia. So they, they had seen the opportunity years ago, and I think it's of a country that um, is very stable, um, one of the oldest democracies in the region. It's um, you know, never had high levels of government debt, never had hyperinflation. It's sort of a model in Latin America for those things, for standing out for those reasons, which is why it's just been um, accepted to the OECD and why it's a partner to NATO and why it's such a very important country in Colombia. Uh, so those companies had already seen the economic opportunities and the fact that it's got this incredible workforce that is well-educated, that um, in parts of the country, more in the northern part, are bilingual um, not so much in the South, you know, Spanish is the dominant language. But once they get there, I think their values are the same, but very similar. So we've got Western business values. Um, the judicial system is really strong in Colombia. Yeah, basically, all the institutions that you need to be strong from a business context are there. The ones coming in, the new ones that I was mentioning, um, and smaller ones, you know, there were... I've lost count of the numbers because I've not been there for a while, but, you know, it was over 90 companies towards the end of me being there. And we had, you know, that was that were quadrupled in the time that I was there. And I think that was um, Australian companies and the educational institutions like Charles Sturt University, they were looking for other opportunities outside of the Indo-Pacific. Um, and Latin America is the, the next, you know, big opportunity and Colombia within that has all these reasons to go in and, and pursue business there. And what do you see, what do you see that the relationship between the two countries is going in the next five, ten years? I think it's going to continue in the same direction. Also towards the end of my term, just before COVID hit, we had other government departments very interested in, in setting up their offices there. So CSIRO, for example, had come in multiple times and could see lots and lots of opportunities you know, in the oceans, in the in environment and climate change area, also in sustainable mining. So I think that the direction will continue of, of looking for uh, sort of joint comparative advantages or national interests where they align. And there's many, there's so many. It's not just the traditional areas of mining and education, you know, infrastructure, the Macquarie and IFM that I mentioned you know, we've got health, which was cochlear, but we also have um, other smaller ones that were um, coming in, like MXHS, which is actually a Colombian-Australian company. There were ones also interested in medicinal cannabis, which Colombia is leading. And then we've got all the defence industries, which you know well. <laughs> so there are lots and lots of opportunities, and I think those those things will, will continue to um, become apparent and Australian companies will continue to increase their investment in Colombia. And uh, now that you've back to Australia, 
What, what sort of is your, your biggest um, memory about your time over there? Well, that's a difficult one. <laughs> I, think,、um, I think my greatest、um, sense of pride was setting up this,、uh, the embassy and the fantastic team that we've got there, and also the excellent relations that we had with government and with many、um, layers of the business community. So, I think within three years, we'd gone from a quite small, low key Australia Day event to the very last one、um, that I was present at, which was yeah, over 400 people and of very influential people in the Colombian community. So, I think people on the Colombian side, although they've always, I think, had an affection、um, towards Australia, I don't think they'd seen the business opportunities that Australia had to bring, maybe not as strongly. And also, you know, on the science side, you know, Australia's got 16 Nobel Prize laureates. And those sorts of things, I don't think maybe on the Colombian business side, they'd seen as the fullness of the Australian opportunity, which your OSCOL, it was not yours, but you helped to、um, bring it about, was the Australian Colombia high level dialogue. That really was、um, amazing how that showed the real breadth of opportunities、yep. between the two countries. You know, the relationship has relied a lot on, on what、uh, the mining sector did at the beginning, but you also. Mm. Mentioned all these new middle and small size companies that are、yeah. continuously trying to get access to the Colombian market. They have obviously seen the benefits, they have seen what、uh, the, the human capital can offer to their companies.、Yeah. Would you like to、uh, expand a little bit more on what are those other sectors that you see as another lever for, for keep that、uh, expansion of the, of the ties between the two countries? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, sometimes it's hard for government to pick because we're not the, the business end of things. And so going in there, you might think agriculture was an obvious fit. And also because we've been、um, negotiating the、uh, Pacific Alliance Free Trade Agreement, which is still undergoing, those negotiations are still undergoing. Agriculture is tricky, though. And, and we've had,、um, I think it was New Farm, but we've had big agricultural companies in Colombia for a while. But when you drill down, agriculture is a tricky area to, and obviously there's a lot of technical expertise that Australia can offer, and there's a lot of opportunities that hopefully will come about on both sides through the FTA when it's done. But again, that's not the area where our business people are、uh, pursuing that hard.、Uh, so it's something that we've got to be very aware of the opportunities, and there are a lot between both countries. So we are swinging our support behind those areas that the companies themselves are identifying. So, I've already mentioned health, defense, and infrastructure, but there's also technology. So, a lot、mm-hmm. on the tech side, ag tech. So, there is in、mm-hmm. ag the Farm App.、Uh, I think that's the name yeah, of the、yeah. company. Farm App. A bit out of touch. You know, there's the ag tech area, there's the fintech area. You know, there's another company whose name escapes me in the education sector, started in the education sector, but now has got a whole financial platform for students wanting to go. Um, between all the many students, the 20,000 students coming from Colombia to Australia. And they started that business in Medellin in Colombia.、Mm-hmm. And now they've spread that business all over Latin America. And it's a matter of providing a、um, well, financial platform for, for all sorts of things for accommodation, for health, and for the studies. Yeah, but in the tech area, I mean, I think there's many other opportunities in fintech as well, which、uh, there's about, I think we found four or five companies. Already working out of Medellin, out of Ruta Eni, which is that、mm-hmm. very、um, innovative platform、uh, that is based in Medellin. And、uh, we just found these companies there, you know, doing their innovative technology work 
uh, without any Australian government help. But once we knew that they were there and we knew th- and they knew that Australian government was there to help and we could help them do more and connect them more to business, invite them to Australia Day and get also Colombian government to um, understand what the Australian companies were bringing to their sectors. Well, well, I was there on a couple of times in Bogota. I had the opportunity to see firsthand how important was people-to-people links and connections for your work. You placed a lot of effort and energy on bringing in and getting the alumni community into your work. Uh, so, so what are some of those stories behind that? Because I know the relationship, the Australia-Colombia relationship, is, is heavily, not reliant, but it takes out a lot of what uh, that people-to-people uh, connection has created. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, already I um, can think of, you know, the Savannah University, the rector there is an, a Melbourne University alumni. We found alumni at the head of important uh, media organisations in Barichara. She, mm-hmm. There were two of them who were alumni. Um, yeah, there are alumni in El Tiempo, the national, one of the great biggest national newspapers there. Yeah, we had alumni almost in every single sector. And yes, and uh, the thing for us was to identify those people and to you know, reach out to them, to bring them in and to see how what their interest was in sort of being that ambassador because they, have, they are Colombian, but they know Australia extremely well. You know, one of them also um, had, started, had started to import Australian products like Australian Cooper's beer. I don't know if there's any other place in Latin America you can buy Cooper's beer in the major um, supermarket. So we had these people coming back and their love for Australia um, and their love for wanting to make that bridge meant that we we were really just at this cusp, just at the start, I think, of that whole exercise and and I think there's so much more we could be doing but yeah we ran it we would so I would go to Pereira and I think two weeks before which is I'm sure people might know it it's in the Eje Cafetero in the the coffee region where your mum's from and two weeks before we put out on our social media that I was going down there and we'd like to meet the alumni and I think my alumni officer thought we might get 10 people and about 40 people turned up wow. and you know same thing in Barichara yeah we had about 50 people turn up and I think and we started this this doing in Cali as well because as you know the other distinctive feature of Colombia is that not everyone's based in the capital Bogota you've got major important cities and and centers of power outside of Bogota Uh, so we were able to find uh, really influential also people in universities in Cali Um, we ran an event in Medellin in Barichara in Pereira um, and probably somewhere else I'm not remembering but in each of those places we were starting to build up this sense of of community because also the alumni there would go oh wow you know I didn't know you so they, they themselves are able to create their own network and I think there's so much more we could be doing at that, on that level on nurturing those links. What, what do you think we could be doing? Uh, I think it's so from the university side. So they nurture their alumni for different reasons, of course. And I think uh, so. It's a bit of a. It's a bit difficult then, and I totally understand why the universities you know, can't give us their alumni list. But what we did, um, the universities were very generous. Each time they would come over, in your universities, the group of eight universities, yeah, they would come over, and we would run joint alumni events. Mm. So through that, yeah, we could meet 
they were very, perfectly happy for us then to you know, say to the offer to the alumni to maintain contact with the embassy. Um, and I think having that joint approach between the university and the embassy was really excellent in identifying those alumni, you know, other opportunities. So Australia's got this global talent program, um, which had just started towards the end of last year, and where um, there's so many opportunities for Colombian alumni to apply under, um, you know, PhDs or yep. uh, masters or um, people who wanted to come back to Australia and further their studies here. But for us then, they come back to Colombia um, and they stay in contact with the Australian Embassy and help us in their field of work to look for opportunities or help us link opportunities between Australia and Colombia. How do you see the, the education sector uh, adapting to the new challenges, obviously, that oh, COVID, uh, COVID-19 has brought on all of us. I think it's very, very difficult. I saw recently in Colombia there was a survey done of um, po- you know, popular university online courses and the Australian universities have done really well. They're still really popular in Colombia and they're still seen as they should be as extremely high quality because a lot of uh, Colombians come to Australia for English language training mm-hmm. um, but that you know, higher level uh, of degree market in Colombia possibly wasn't aware of um, how high quality our universities are. So part of the universities coming over and our work as the embassy was to try to promote that. And I think that's what the um, universities can continue to do because the Colombians uh, are used to travelling and living and working and studying overseas and they are looking for quality. Um, So the universities can and were already doing identifying their specific areas of expertise, which I know CSU has, and I think that's the that's the right approach. So Colombians are open to Australia. They've looked. They understand it. They maybe don't understand how high quality education you know, beyond the English language they can get. Uh, also on the vocational and educational training, there's so much more we could be doing there. And there was um, what is called William Anglis, a catering or a food specialist and um, hospitality specialist tech college in Melbourne. So they were starting to go over the Chisholm Institute as well. So those ones were starting to go over there and make their mark. And those um, opportunities should continue even within a COVID environment. One of the, the, I think the biggest disappointments that I see after COVID we, before COVID, yeah. we were all dreaming about having a direct flight from oh, we <laughs> from Australia to to Colombia. Even if it had to, you know, even if we had to make a quick stopover somewhere else yes. nearby. But now with uh, with a shattered uh, aviation industry, I think that our hopes are. Well, we have, we can't <laughs> give up hope altogether because there was, um, you know, I think there was the first direct flight ever from Lima to Sydney to bring back some stranded Australians, and it sort of proved that it's possible. Bogota, we didn't get to that um, level of possibility, but yeah, you're right. Then that is an achievement that I should go back to is that. Um, you know, as part of us setting up the embassy, the foreign minister at the time, Julie Bishop, had signed a memorandum of agreement for the air services agreement, which we signed into um, a treaty level when I was there with the Colombian government. So that opened up the possibility for direct flights. And then it was really down to the um, airlines themselves to see that opportunity. 
And we got very close to interesting, um, I mean, Avianca told us they would look at it as a definitely possible route in 2021. They had not realised there were 70,000 people travelling between Colombia and um, Australia every year, which justifies a daily flight. Uh, when you look at the numbers, that, that's that's what that justified on the numbers. So they, they were really interested in the numbers, which we brought to them also with Sydney Airport's um, assistance. And we were very close, I think, to convincing them to do that. Yes, there's a massive shake-up at the moment going on in the air industry everywhere in the world, yeah. everywhere. And I think where the pieces will fall, though, is interesting because it'll be a completely different market. It's going to be different. I don't think we shouldn't give up on that possibility because of all the business that is still happening, it's still happening in between Colombia and Australia and, and all the, the interest that has historically been there. This this flow of students to Australia from Colombia is not something that's happened in the last four years. That's been going on for 20 years. It's just increased quite dramatically in the last you know, four to five years. And I think uh, my observation of the situation is that despite obviously borders are closed, yeah. no one can leave the country. No, well, or at least <laughs> Colombians can leave yeah. the country, but they are not allowed to mm-hmm. enter Australia. My, my perception is that we will see a, a, a rise, a peak on the amount of students picking up very quickly yeah. because uh, I think uh, people are due to coffee, they are completely uh, more aware of the importance of what you were telling us before about the high education and the quality of the high education that the Australian market can offer to not only Colombians, but also but the whole region. Well, that's right. And when I ask Colombians, yeah, why Australia? What do, you, what do you love about it? And their first answer was always safety. And I think at the moment, and that might be a particularly Colombian perspective, but post-COVID, Where's the safest country to be at the moment? <laughs> like it's kind of Australia is a really safe place to be yep. and Canberra within that. So I think that will add to the attractiveness of Australia for overseas students. So what happened with the free trade agreement negotiations? Well, it's still there. It's still there. So um, I think it's, again, I haven't been that close to it for the last few months, but um, it was put on pause and uh, anyway, as um, each country was assessing its um, position at the beginning of the year, but it's still, it's definitely still um, around, and the negotiators are still talking. So it's still happening. It's just a, on a bit of a slower timetable. It's, it's a very interesting time after COVID. Multilateralism is on again. Is you know, it's becoming quite popular now. Yeah. Not that it never existed, but now we are you know, com- in government. And foreign policy circles are completely aware of how important it will be. But at the same time, you have uh, a perception from Australian foreign policy to be too close or too reliant on what happens in the region, which makes sense. Mm. It makes sense. It is, uh, you know, Southeast Asia and now the Indo-Pacific, they obviously attract or or demand more time and energy from, from foreign policy. But uh, you're obviously privileged to have an insider's view of what's happening in, in Australia's foreign policy circles. So how does the government really see uh, not only Colombia, but Latin American uh, countries and how are they working towards building closer and stronger ties with them? Yeah, I mean, I think on the multilateral side, that's why a country like Colombia is very important for Australia. You know, it's a it's a like-minded country. 
it believes in the rules-based international order, it knows that that's in, definitely in its national interest to support that. And that's why we do work with Colombia really closely on forums like you know, the WTO and OECD and the UNFCCC, the climate change. Uh, you know, when I was working in climate change, the Colombians were um, very good allies for us and they were mu very much leaders in the Latin America um, sphere. So I think uh, Australia does recognise that. Then you've got Latin America and its potential for diversity um, to our business community. And a big part of our role as ambassadors for Latin America was to, um, when we come back to Australia and did our um, consultation rounds around Australia, was really to talk to those companies and to you know, assuage any fears that they, they might have to show them all the great things about setting up their businesses in our countries. Um, and the interest was definitely there. So I think that, that continues to be on a foreign policy. It's very much on that trade business side of things, but also on the, on the um, partnerships that we can make in Latin America in countries like Colombia, where we have um, like-minded partners on, in multilateral institutions. So they're the two biggest areas, I think. Is there anything that you would have liked to, to do but you couldn't while you were in Colombia? Oh, the thing that uh, I think you know about is we got very close to finalising our plans for a Centre for Mining Excellence, um, which I, is still going, those plans for that. Um, and what we were hoping for there was to, to bring together, you know, similar to, um, uh, to centres that have been set up in Chile, was to bring together Australian you know, universities and mining expertise on the sustainability side with universities and um, businesses on the Colombian side and to share best practice. And so I think yeah, Colombia is still struggling a bit to uh, work out what it thinks about mining, even though it has been very important to it, in the, particularly in the coal industry. Uh, it's been a very important employer um, very important contributor to the national income. Uh, but as new new companies are setting up, you know, there's still this question on social licence and, and what the alternative uses of land. It's an important debate and Australia's had our own debate on that and continues to have our own debate on that. And I think we have quite a bit to offer. Uh, yeah, when I went to mining conferences in Colombia, there were three groups in the room. It's the Canadians, the Australians and the Colombians. And that we, we are the ones in, in that sector in Colombia. And I think we do have a value add in terms of um, sharing our experience. While Colombia still, in some industries like the coal, it's very well developed, mm -hmm. but in, and nickel, which we have, you know, South 32 is one of our biggest companies there. But on the other side, um, you know, on gold and other metals, it's only just starting. And we can provide some of our experience to help them navigate that, where they want to go with those those developments yeah definitely I would like to go back again to to your upbringings I've been told that you whistle on meetings <laughs> that's my that's my trick as a farmer's, yeah. farmer's daughter <laughs> that is quite unusual <laughs> well sometimes the only way to bring a rebel to account and to get everyone to be quiet and listen to the Especially ambassador is Columbia. to whistle <laughs> yeah. exactly is that the best skill that you that every single diplomat should develop <laughs> before going to Colombia I don't know if it was seen as the most ladylike skill but uh, <laughs> but uh, no I think Colombia Diplomats are 
extremely professional and very, very good. So I, I also learned a lot from um, from Colombian diplomats about how they operate. I think the ability to whistle is, um, is not that common in the way that I don't need fingers. I don't need to stick my fingers in my mouth to do it. So, <laughs> so you are truly professional. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't actually know where the whistle came from. <laughs> no one would expect it. No one would look at you. <laughs> no one would expect it, but it did, it did have the desired effect. <laughs> That's so right. w- when you were swapping notes with with Colombian diplomats, um, you know, as a professional, what did you learn? As I was saying, the Colombian diplomats are very, very high level. Um, you know, it's the creme de la creme, and they're very well trained. You know, you have um, a well established diplomatic academy and a uh, very well established sort of um, procedure of moving up through your um, ranks. I guess you might call it. And I think uh, that it was interesting to you know sit down you know with Alfredo Ramos, wonderful director of Oceania, and I you know, used to joke like two thirds of the world fell <laughs> fell in his patch. I think he had one hundred and eight ambassadors or something. I don't know. I might be um, over stating it, but um, yeah, that, that sort of and also you know the, all the vice ministers that I met with in um, the Department of Foreign Affairs in Colombia. Yeah, they just have a very good sense of Colombia's place in the world, and um, and the country you know that they are interacting with, you know, Australia in this case, what our common interests are, and I think and how we can work together. I mean, those are the things I think we need to be able to bring to the table, and the Colombians have a very good sense of that, a very good sense of you know what their um, obviously where Colombia's place was in the world, but how that fit with Australia's place in the world. So, what are what's next for you? Ah, uh, yeah. So I'm. Um, I will start again at DFAT after a break in a couple of weeks' time. Not exactly sure where yet, <laughs> but I've got an idea of a specific area. So I think the idea is to uh, work in Canberra for the next, you know, two or three, four years while my children finish high school, and to look for another posting overseas would be absolutely wonderful. And you recently were uh, you were awarded with a. I was, I was. So the Colombian government um, honoured me with this massive privilege of the yeah the cross of um, San Carlos for uh, my contribution to international relations. And I think that that ceremony and um, the snippet that the from, from from the message from the foreign affairs minister in Colombia, um, the current ambassador here, Mejia, the past ambassadors, um, my whole team, you know, the previous diplomats. I think all of us had had made this possible in the sense that you know I could be receive that honor and know that it was really the massive effort from the two sides um, that had given us the opportunity to open an embassy and to really be able to um, use those opportunities that already existed to quadruple the number of companies you know to promote the fantastic education opportunities for Colombians and really to contribute to Colombia through the other parts of Australian government which are expanding their presence there. So the AFP on the security side, education, CSIRO, um, Department of Agriculture as well was doing more work in Colombia. Definitely other cross or medal that you truly deserved is uh, for your bravery and resilience. Not too many people should be aware of, of how brave you are in terms of fighting cancer twice, if I'm not wrong. Yeah, that's right. But could you tell us a little bit of that? Yeah, sure. I mean, cancer is something that's too prevalent. It's way too prevalent. Um, I mean, a good friend of a 
both of ours lost his sister this year to it. You know, there's I've got friends whose um, parents are going through it, and I have gone through it. Um, yeah, luckily I'm on the positive end. Um, the prognosis is good, but I think it's just something you go through. I don't, I'm not. I shouldn't belittle it. It's a terrible thing, but I think that you go through it. You go through the treatment which is kind of worse <laughs> at my end of things than the actual sickness itself. But, um, and then you put it behind you. That's what I've done. That's what I did the first time. That's what I'm, I'm now through all my treatment. So, um, yeah, I think you put it behind you and you think, well, that, that wasn't a great thing to have happened, but it's part of too many people's lives. It's really is. It's too prevalent. And I think, yeah, having, having gone through it, you sort of you have a greater appreciation for um, for health and and for the healthy life that you know that you have, yeah, you draw strength from that. I think, and the fact that people are so supportive, everyone's very supportive as you and my department, the government has been very supportive of all these people as they have to go through this. So, how did Colombia obviously change your life? Uh, are you one after Colombia or not? <laughs> I think it was definitely um, being able to be ambassador in a country like Colombia and opening an embassy in a country like Colombia. Yes, that, that has changed my life in the sense that um, you know, I've uh, built those skills in, in how to do that and how to establish a presence. But also Colombians themselves and their positives, um, their optimism, their their outlook on life, um, their ability to just get on and do it, um, to create great um, working relationships very quickly. And the friends I made in Colombia, those things will definitely last um, for my life. And just to close up, I've got a, not a list, but um, I would like to do some very quick questions and see how how good you are about Colombian oh, no. facts. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> so what do you do to unwind? We know that, uh, you know, you love hiking, but when you're not working, what are you doing with your free time? <laughs> yeah, do you have any? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking after a family. But um, no, I, I certainly enjoy it. Hiking's my number one and bushwalking, rogaining, orienteering, anything along those lines. Um, walking up Mount Ainsley. So those are top of the... Um, list, but I also really enjoy reading and what movies. What sort of books? And what's so book at the moment? I'm reading Overstory by Richard Powers, which is mm-hmm. a fantastic book. I, so I like current books, but also like classics. Before that, I just read Anna Karenina by Leo Tolstoy. So that was mm-hmm. <laughs> that was classics. a long trip, but yeah, but yeah. very good. So I enjoy the the current and the old, and the, I really do. Enjoy you read it. in Spanish as well? Uh yeah, I do. Yeah, it's certainly like I love Garcia Marquez, the one. That, the Cronica de una Muerta Anunciada, which is a, you know, it's a fantastic, such a clever writer. He's so clever. Um, but that's a sort of easy one. It's not to, uh, also, you know, halfway through um, Cien Años de Soledad. But that's, that's a bit of a slower read in Spanish. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. Even right. for native, native speakers. <laughs> so you've got the whole spectrum there. And I've, uh, Laura Esquivel, I've read some of her stuff also. Like like water for chocolate. So, but I do. It's certainly harder in Spanish, but I enjoy it. You get so much more out of what the writers, you know, writing about to read it. Obviously, in the original language. So, how would you define Colombia in one word? Uh, optimism. <laughs> and Australia. <laughs> oh well, similar. I think I know we are defined as easygoing, 
Um, but I think also we have a similar sense, that energy, um, that optimistic energy that both of our countries share. And what was your your most horrible traffic jam in Bogota? Oh, my God. <laughs> do you remember one? I do. I think I had a terrible headache. And I was trying to go to a national day of some sort from our embassy, from our residence to their residence, which was literally four kilometres. I mean, I could have walked it uh, easily. And I, I think after an hour and a half of being, this is around Christmas. You know how it is, oh, how it just consumes. Of course I don't. Just a, I mean, oh. you should, I should have just got out of the car and walked. <laughs> so it, it was ridiculous and I just, I, we weren't moving. So uh, I just turned around and went home. I wasn't going to get there. I'd missed half to the, the <laughs> event by then. Safi <laughs> uh, Davis, it's been an absolute privilege oh, you, and pleasure to have you here. Um, you know, as I told you, this is the, the first um, podcast episode and I hope that is definitely not the last one that we do. Thank you very much for your time. Nice, Ezra, and thank you for all the effort that you've also put into this same uh, joint exercise of um, stronger and closer relations between Colombia and Australia. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. It was a real privilege to sit down with former Ambassador Sophie Davis. I look forward to bringing you the next guest uh, during the next episode. If you have any ideas of the people who you would like to listen to through this podcast, please let us know via email Caesar, C-E-S-A-R at auscalldialogue.org or simply send us a WhatsApp note on 0413. 973-993 or connect to any of our social media platforms. We look forward to hearing from you, your ideas and possible guests that you would like to listen to on this podcast. Thank you very much and until the next one.